Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome to a very, very special episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey! Uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't be happier today uh, to welcome these incredible people to this show. You're looking right now at Greg Weissman, who is the supervising producer and showrunner for this show that we're going to talk about here, the spectacular Spider-Man animated series. We've brought the cast back together along with Greg. Vic Cook is here, who's a supervising producer and supervising director on the show. Sean Cheeks Galloway, who is the lead character designer, character supervisor, Josh Keaton, who is the voice of Peter Parker, slash Spider-Man, and the beautiful and lovely Vanessa Marshall as the voice of Mary Jane Watson. So all of them are here to talk about their experiences on this show. Want to give you guys a special background about this thing. It premiered on Kids WB in March of 2008. Its second season aired on Disney XD in November of 2009. Overall, 26 episodes in total. And it still stands out as one of the more popular animated versions of everyone's favorite web crawler, Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And we're going to talk to this entire team today uh, about their experiences making the show and how they feel about it and the legacy of the show as it stands now. IGN still talks about this show. So many websites still rank it as one of the best animated series ever in the history of superhero animated series or animated series ever. And uh, we are more than uh, honored to have these incredibly talented people be a part today on this Geek Buddies for this special reunion of the spectacular Spider-Man. Mikey, please take it away. Um, well, yeah, this is very special for me because uh, not only am I a huge fan of Spectacular Spider-Man uh, and not only am I a huge fan of all these people, but way, way, way back in 2008 when I was a very, very young executive, I was also all of these people's boss. Uh, <laughs> this was the first show that I uh, got to develop over at Sony Pictures Television. Um, and so I actually remember uh, either interviewing all these people or listening to tapes of these people. And uh, 
it was kind of a blast. Uh, so I'm going to start with actually the first person hired, uh, Greg Weissman. Greg, what do you remember about pitching the pitching your version, pitching your take? Like, what is your memory of the beginnings of this whole thing and uh, and the take that you came in and pitched and uh, and basically pretty much was the take that ended up going onto the screen. As as Greg Weissman does, he kind of came in with the entire plan and that plan didn't change drastically throughout. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I my memory of this is that I uh, interviewed for the show in, uh, I want to say February of 2007. January, February of 2007, I think before Michael, you were involved with it. And then, you know, um, months and months passed by which time I sort of took for granted that I hadn't gotten the job. And then in December of that year, so we're talking at least 10 or 11 months, um, I met a, a Christmas party at uh, Dwayne Capizzi's house. And, uh, a uh, guy walks up to me and congratulates me on getting the Spider-Man gig. And I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I interviewed for it like almost a year ago. I, I definitely didn't get it. And he's like, no, you did. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and my agent was also at the party. So I went to my agent and I said, um, uh, this guy just, congratulated me for getting the spider-man gig do you know anything about this and he's like no and we'd all heard that other people had gotten it over the months and stuff like that and i think they went through at least a couple people or something um, but we hadn't heard anything about it and then that was like you know on a weekend or something like that and then on monday i got a call from michael and grace ben um and they asked me to come in immediately um and i'm like uh okay uh so i and then like almost immediately when i got off the phone i got a call from marvel saying they wanted me to come in the next day and then it became clear that sony wanted to make sure they met with me before marvel <laughs> <laughs> well uh, look normally we'd ask the question but michael why did you keep greg on the line like this uh, it seems a bit in a you know why not tell him before he why did you have to find out at a party michael there wasn't necessarily keeping him on the line uh greg is not wrong that there were other people in the running <laughs> And you know a little I bit of back. Clearly, like the third or fourth trip. <laughs> well, the 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 backstory on all this for anyone who doesn't know is that you know we all know uh, and all of our fans know because we talk about it all the time that Sony still has the feature rights to Spider Man and that's why Sony and Disney have the deal right. with Peter Parker and we talk about it all the time. Um, but at this point in time, Sony still had the television rights as well, so Marvel actually couldn't make a Spider-Man show without Sony. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted one. Sony was like, we're going to make one. Uh, you know, Hasbro came in, was talking to Sony consumer products about toys. Like it was a really big, there was a lot of people in the room and there was a lot of um, debate on who was going to run the show and Marvel had their people and we were meeting with tons of people and there's a lot of opinions. Um, I will say that uh, one of the reasons that Greg ended up getting this call at the 11th hour. Uh, there's just one word that sums it up, and that word is gargoyles. 
that there was a Greg. Greg came in with a great pitch. A lot of people came in. I mean, as you can imagine, when you kind of throw it out to the to the animation writers of <clears throat> LA and say, "Give us your take on Spider-Man," uh, everybody comes in and they pitch what they would do with it. And Greg's pitch was great. But the mm -hmm. thing that actually put uh, Sony over the edge on Greg, uh, after I pointed it out to a few people that weren't as familiar. Uh, was actually Gargoyles and what an amazing mm. show it was for its time and how it was this epic serialized show that had these amazing characters and that even though it was a straight down the line boys action show, there was a lot more going on. And when you're going to take uh, one of the most popular comic book characters of all time uh, and put him on the big screen, maybe let's do a show where you're going to actually build out that world and build out those characters. And yeah. so really, uh, you can thank Goliath for the <laughs> 11th hour call. Uh, and fair enough. Come in immediately so that we can talk to you before you go into Marvel to make sure that you don't say anything that makes Marvel mad, and that'll be good. <laughs> well, I go, I go to Vic Cook next. Vic, you had done 101 Dalmatians, the series, the Buzz, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, Legend of Tars, and a lot of the Disney characters uh, you had had experience. But this was a jump into something that people hold a even stronger reverence for in terms of Spider-Man. What was your trepidation or what was your experience maybe with Spider-Man before uh, you agreed to take this on for yourself? I was just a fan of Spider-Man. That was my only experience before this. But watching all the previous Marvel animated shows, and uh, I liked a lot of them, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the, the approach, the visual approach was to sort of make it look like the comic book, which is a great idea, but then production-wise, uh, budget-wise, they didn't, they, it didn't really move as smoothly or move as cinematically as you wanted. So with all this Disney experience and some of the other influences, I thought, God, it'd be really great if we could get some classic animation swaps and stretch and be a little bit cartoony with it. I had kind of two influences in my head. One was uh, Casa Cagliostro, which is directed by Miyazaki, Yeah. which uh, is, if you look at the staging of that, it's like a, it's a movie, it's live action. And the characters are designed in such a way that when it's dramatic, it's dramatic, but when they have to go over the top and yell, all of a sudden their jaws don't connect. I mean, it's like they really yell big. Yeah. And I just thought, I daydreamed in my head, Jay Jonah Jane said yelling like that at Peter Parker. Yeah. What and, was... uh, that's what I wanted to bring to Spider Man. Well, you talk about the character design. We got to go to Josh Cheeks on this one. Cheeks, like, I, I was watching some uh, videos about this history of Spectacular Spider-Man over the last few days, and one of the things people felt initially was they weren't sure that this was going to work. They looked at the designs, and they were just like, is this really the way we're going to go with Spider-Man? And then it ended up being something they truly loved about uh, the show. What inspired your designs for these characters and for the show itself? Well, um, Vic... And Greg and uh, and Mike, they just, they had a vision of basically how do you modernize it, uh, but keeping the, I guess the flair that I had, you know, uh, at the time for design. Uh, mm -hmm. How do I how do I mash that together? So um, so then I did the first pass, you know, but but then uh, I was able to to look at other other takes of the design. So what really resonated was. Uh, Joaquin Dos Santos is um, Gwen Stacy, oh, so yeah. um, mine was a little too, too, too much one way. But then when we saw Joaquin's, and I was able to kind of uh, 
to kind of funnel in, you know, how it would draw, but using Joaquin's uh, inspiration, uh, uh, design as inspiration. Mm -hmm. And then um, and I, I think, uh, what was it? Was it Dave Johnson or Jeff Johnson's Rhino? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so when, when we started doing more of a lineup, yeah, uh, I used uh, one of theirs as inspiration where, where we knew we wanted to kind of not go completely classic but not completely go with Jeff Matsuda design where, where it's just, um, where it's like su super, you know, um, pushed. Yeah. So I guess uh, the inspiration was how do I find the middle ground, you know, with all that. Yeah. I, I want to interject. Sean, when Sean submitted for uh, designs, he came in out the gate with J. Jonah Jameson, the Vulture, yeah. Spider-Man, Sandman, and that's basically the design we stuck with the show. That's what sold us on Sean. Wow. And because of the Raimi movie, we wanted this Spider-Man to like move really fast and have a lot of kinetic energy. And Sean's designs had that mix of it was elegant and great to look at, but it was also sort of simplified. So we knew on our budget we could get that thing out. Yeah, I will say I, I I had more arguments that year with more people about ankle size than I've ever had <laughs> yeah. in my entire life. Those pants, I know, right? Because one of <laughs> the guys. one of the big things about uh, about Sean's designs that was great that we really loved uh, is you know you sort of like have these like you know the 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 feet are really skinny like the leg the legs kind of tapered down like mm -hmm. and and it's really angular and like when you look at like a lot of what is popular everything from bruce tim's batman and superman the teen titans to a lot of the stuff that was on tv yeah. uh there was a real stylization and marvel and hasbro who worked with marvel on the way like both didn't love that they wanted well, I, think Hasbro's, I think Hasbro's fear literally was if you try to make a toy and the ankles are too thin, yeah. the feet will snap off. And it literally, I can say this because I'll get, be the one that gets in trouble, but like literally <laughs> I had to go over to Greg and Vic in Cheek's office and hold up how somebody had drawn over Sean's designs <laughs> to make like the feet, the ankles bigger or the wrists bigger or the neck bigger. And yeah. then he would get super mad and there would be this whole big fight. And then we would argue about like a millimeter of ankle. I'm like, can I just go back and tell them we'll make it this much bigger? You're like, fine, fine. Yeah. I want to say something here. I, I remember <laughs> it wasn't just ankles. It was Sean's Spider-Man's design was it wasn't yeah it wasn't just about the ankles sean's overall spider-man design was sort of this smaller kind of a bruce lee physique mm. and every spider-man we had seen before was sort of like this big muscle man and the drawing and the drawing that vogel showed us you know was this sort of this big he-man guy and i'm like okay but when he's in his school clothes as peter parker how does that work yeah. how is Peter parker anymore yeah so, Part of that went back to the original development too, because we had what we called the five C's that we used for this show. Mm. And that was, we were trying to take, and this is what I pitched in the first place too, is that we were trying to take the excitement that you felt reading Spider-Man back in the day, in the early 60s, uh, you know, or whenever you stumbled on it, you know, whatever era you happened to stumble on it, but really go back to the work of Lee and Ditko and Lee and John Romney Sr. And yeah. that Spider-Man that Ditko drew in particular is not 
Captain America. He doesn't have a Captain America physique. He's not supposed to have a Captain America mm. physique. And one of the and so the five C's we came up with is that we wanted it to be contemporary. So we're going to take 1961, move it into 2008. We wanted it though to feel classic. Uh, we were going to take all these eras of Spider-Man and sort of mash them together, but we wanted to do it in a way that was coherent and cohesive. Yeah. And then the fifth thing, which is really what Sean brought to the table, is and this we still called it one of the five C's, even though it begins with an I. It's <laughs> iconic, which has a nice C as the second letter. Iconic. Um, yeah, and <laughs> and that was the thing. You know, you wanted to see the design of any character, and immediately know, yes, that's Doctor Octopus, or yes, that's Jonah Jameson. Right. Um, and and that's what Sean brought is that he brought a style to it, and yet every time you saw the character. Um, there was never any question who it was. Yeah, that's Flash Thompson. You know, I mean, that's where I know it. You know, I'm not saying that along the way other artists may have had a little influence here and there, or along the way, Vic and I may have, I'm sort of skipping Hasbro's notes, but Vic and I may have given a note here, like on Rhino's feet, I remember in particular, we wanted to make them more like uh, almost elephant feet, really. Mm. Um, but uh, but in essence, you know, you'd see Sean's initial design for any given character, and whether we tweaked it a little or not, whatever. But yeah. they absolutely looked iconic for that character in Spider-Man. There was never any question, you know. Can I say something real quick in regards to the Hasbro note? Um, remember when they when they descended back? He had a very He-Man physique, and then. Yeah. And then what Vic was saying was that how would he look like in his normal street clothes? So Mike came up, I, I believe it was Mike that came up, you guys can correct me, came up with this brilliant idea. It's like, don't just show him with his cool stylization shoulders down, just do this. And then he's going to look like he's a big dude. And when we did that, they approved it, I believe, just like that. You know, uh, just by simply making his lap pop and crafty. His shoulders up. Crafty. I will say, I think my two best design tricks, I don't know if you remember the other one, there was that. There was always like one of the things I learned really early on was uh, most people who work in a live action format, uh, looking at animation, looking at pictures, like don't really know what they're looking at. So you can fool them by poses. I remember the other big one was there was a lot of concern that your Doc Ock looked goofy or cartoony Aww. and he didn't look evil. And we got all these notes that you had to change Doc Ock, you had to change Doc Ock. And we were all really upset because we love that, yeah, Greg has been, we love that Doc Ock design. Yeah. And so I came over and I was like, look, just do me one favor. Like right now he has his round goggles on, like angle both the goggles down, like give him mad eyes, but don't change anything else. And they were like, that's not gonna fly. And I'm like, just trust me. And we like took it in and they were like, I remember this person who we showed the, pic the picture to went, see, aren't you glad you took the note? <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking, speaking of the characters, we know we got to talk to Josh and Vanessa here. I mean, you both have played so many roles, a lot of supervillains, a lot of superheroes. How do you bring something different to each one? And, and specifically, what did you guys feel like you brought to Spidey and MJ? Well, I mean, this was kind of, I would say, I, I wouldn't say it was early on in my voiceover career because, I mean, I've been doing voiceover since I was a little kid. But in terms of, like, 
the career that I have now where I, where I work a lot more than I did when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> this was kind of at the beginning of it. So um, I, I didn't really have a huge, a huge body of work yet at this point. Um, and so really, I, I was really just bringing a lot of myself. And, and that comes from a, a lifelong Spider-Man fan. Like, he's been my number one superhero that I would love to read since I, I could read comics. And, and that's, I, I felt like I related to him a lot. Like, I, I felt like I had a similar, a similar life minus, minus the superpowers. I was a dorky kid in high school. I got mm. bullied. Um, I was shorter than everybody. It was just, it, it, I wasn't cool. And if you get pegged as like not cool when you're in eighth grade, that follows you all the way through high school. Yep. That's who you are. That's who you are. And so on the other side of that, I had this whole other life where I was an actor and I had totally different friends. Um, well, I actually had friends. I didn't really have a lot of friends. As well. but, I mean, I actually, I, I had friends who didn't see me as that, who didn't see me as the uncool kid. I was just, I was just me. I was just a regular, regular guy. And so that, having to live that that double life where like when i'm at school and the other thing is that you you even get made fun of for like the cool stuff you do at school like i i was everybody knew i was an actor so they all thought oh you think you're better than us or whatever and you know with some exception there were some nice kids at school but um <laughs> but for the most part you know there, there was a lot of that so i had to deal with that there but then when i wasn't there i i was I, it was a totally different life so i was leading this double life which was very much very Peter Parker-esque, um, where I was a lot more confident outside of school. When I went back to school, I was just a nerd again. Um, and and so really, I mean, I, I, I really felt a, a kinship with this character I always have. And and getting to read the scripts, it was it was it was just great. And I'd already had an outing as Spider-Man in the original movie game, mm -hmm. but then they got Toby's audio, uh, or to I, I don't know if he actually recorded it or if they just used stuff from the game. But for whatever reason, I had done the entire game already. And then they, they took all that audio and they said, no, it's going to be Toby now. So they put in like a hidden mode of play where if you beat the game, then you get to play as Harry Osborn in the Green Goblin suit. But it was really like the same game, the same, same storyline, same everything with a couple little tweaks here and there. So I almost saw this as like my second chance. I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going to get to be Spidey now. All right, I got to get this. And, uh, and I, was, I was super excited. But yeah, I mean, it was really just bringing a lot of, of my own interpretation of, of Spider-Man. Obviously, there's a way you have to play Spider-Man because he's got, I mean, decades of canon and, and lifelong fans. Um, so, you, you know, you really can't stray too far from, from what he is. But, um, but that being said, I, I, I really just kind of brought my own, my own life experience, my own, my own feelings of what it feels like to be bullied and, and still have this other this other alter ego that you can that you can run away from or run away to and escape from all the uh the bad stuff nice vanessa how about you well i'll just say josh is the only peter parker for me <laughs> the end of time just, no you just a hundred grand it's all you i you're, you thank you for what you did it was brilliant um and uh yeah i had a, a huge reverence for uh all things marvel growing up and I remember when I got this audition, uh, at the time I had done a few parts here and there, but I wasn't even gonna read for it because I thought, oh, no, 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 I'd never get something like that. And my agent said, no, you should, you should just give it, a, give it a whirl. And so I did. And uh, I remember getting the call that I had booked the job and I was in a, another job doing legal tags for Honda. And uh, my agent called and said, hello, is this Mary Jane? And I said, 
not to my knowledge. Uh, and she said, yes, it is. And I'm, what? You know, like, the, the, behind the other side of the glass, the uh, advertising people were like, Jesus, did she just die? You know, <laughs> um, a, a little bit, uh, or I was reborn. Um, I, I just, I love MJ. And uh, one of the things I love about uh, the way the show was cast, I don't know whether you guys knew this or not, but we were all huge Spider-Man fans. Mm. And we all had... Uh, so much love for this story and wanted to tell it um, a, as best we could and, and uh, you know, just get our egos out of the way and just celebrate it. Um, I, and we were so grateful to be there. I don't think we knew that when we cast it, but it became very clear early on in the uh, recordings. Mm. Oh, you're... You know, it came up, Darren Norris's wife came up to me to say how much Darren always wanted to be J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like, like he may not tell you this, but this is a dream come true for him. And I'm like, wow, okay, cool. And, <laughs> and uh, Peter McNichol and Doc Ock. I mean, these were people who loved these characters. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was fun you know, the casting process for this show was brutal because there were, again, there were so many corporate entities involved in the show. And one of these corporate entities, or at least one person at one of these corporate entities were like, you know, usually you audition all these people and then you submit, you know, four or five choices to the suits. Um, you know, you've got your pick, but you know, one lesson I learned really early on is you only submit people that you could live with. I once was on a show, not Spider-Man, but a show where um, the producer had one person that he just was positive was right for a role, but the executive was asking for choice. So the person put the one person that he really wanted and then, the, and then to give choice, made the second choice the worst audition he had received. So, of course, inevitably, yeah. the executive went for the one that he thought was just atrocious. <laughs> um, um, and I was a junior executive, and I, I advised against this, but I but when that happened, I said, well, let's see if we can keep working or that kind of thing. And <laughs> we didn't wind up with the awful person. But the, the point was is that on this show – Again, you usually get a handful, you know, somewhere between three and five choices to give the executives. And this time out, the executives wanted 10 choices per wow. character. Wow. And they also wanted us to audition a huge amount of characters. Mm -hmm. Normally, the leads, you know, you're auditioning four or five characters for a show, particularly a show like Spider-Man, where you've really only got one lead. You know, we've, we had a huge ensemble cast surrounding Spider-Man there's really only one lead and that's, you know, Peter, yeah. but they wanted us to audition for MJ and for Gwen and for uh, Harry Osborn and Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin and uh, Venom and, uh, you know, Venom's alter ego and Aunt May and Jonah. And it was just like, Oh my God, you want 10 times 13 characters, choices for, 
And so we went through this huge audition process, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of actors, and then, you know, a huge callback process. And then finally we're going into this meeting and right before the meeting, Vic and Michael and our voice and casting director, Jamie Thomas and I sat down to go through and we had clear choices, including obviously Josh and Vanessa and, but clear choices that we wanted for everyone. And we were like, all of us were like, okay, we've got to go in there and, and be prepared for a fight because we had no idea what Sony other than Michael, what's the other Sony executives, let alone what Marvel was going to want. And so we got into this conference room in the uh, horrible Apple building where we worked. It was called the Apple building because for some reason there was a big picture of an apple painted on the that side. Was, that, was, that was Sony's janky uh, animation building with like a drug park next to it that you couldn't go hang out in because there was too many needles. It was, it was, well, yeah. no right windows, yeah. pallets everywhere. Or... <laughs> you heard the it here first. Floor was a, the first floor was literally a warehouse for storing sets and props for Sony's uh, live action studio. And then the windowless second floor was where they stuck animation. <laughs> uh, and so we go into this conference room again, windowless, dark, dank room. I can't tell you how awful that space was. But um, and I am totally ready for a fight, to fight for all these characters. And and the first thing that happens is all right. Well, obviously, let's start with Peter Parker slash Spider Man. Who do you guys? Who do you want? And I was almost literally like Josh Keaton. Like I was. <laughs> And everyone was like, yeah, Josh was my first choice too. Yeah, I really like Josh, yeah. And I'm like, it was like a sitcom moment. You know, that moment where I'm like, no, it's gonna be Josh. Oh, oh, you guys like Josh too. (laughs) Oh, good. And then they're like, you know, who do you want for, uh, I don't remember, Uh, obviously Spider-Man was first. I don't remember literally who the second character was, but character after character, I'm like this. I am totally ready to do battle for our choices, and there's no argument whatsoever. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Aunt May, literally right down the line, we were all in agreement. Wow. I think, and there was so many other things where there was so much arguing, and I do remember that, that like with the voice casting, it was kind of like, oh, that was easy. That was the one easy thing. Mm. It really was. We walked out of the meeting, and we were like, usually, you know, when things go bad, you walk out of the meeting, you're like, what just happened? And this time we walked out of the meeting going, what just happened? <laughs> well, one of the things that was ever that easy before or since. <laughs> one of the things that's a characteristic of the show, that a lot of people talk about uh, in a very, very positive way was the way that you all were able to streamline the disparate storylines and mythologies of the characters into a thing that was very understandable uh, because you know when you go in comics there's all kinds of different origin stories and connective tissues that you can play with there and one of the compliments about the show is that it's a very streamlined show you kind of you know you kind of resuscitated Eddie Brock into a more interesting layered character certainly uh, Gwen Stacy taking some of the ultimate MJ approach making her a buddy of Spider-Man all of this uh, how much of that was something you all had from the beginning, and how much of that was developed as you were uh, going along during this process? Most of it was done. So I, when I finally did get the job, I met with 
Michael and Grace, and then the next day or, or day after, I can't remember, we met with uh, Eric Roman and Craig Kyle at Marvel, and um, and then a day after that, they I got the job, and I, like I said, this was December, mm-hmm. so you know I have all these. You know, I've been reading Spider-Man since I was a little kid, and I have all the comic books, but I went over to Golden Apple and on Melrose, and I bought those phone books, the essential Spider-Man, oh, the yeah. black and white, thick things, and I bought, you know, the first seven volumes of that. It's all stuff I had read before, but it had been a while. But the thing was is that my family was going to this dude ranch in Arizona with my in-laws, not my first choice of them vacation spot but we have fun (laughs) um and but i spent most of the trip just reading Mm spider-man uh again starting from amazing fantasy 15 and 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 reading spider-man uh that early stuff the stan and steve and stan and john stuff and taking notes and i would say that uh it all pretty much coalesced that week and I came back and was wow. able to pitch the first 13 episodes. And we had we made a couple changes. Uh, I had Craven, Craven who showed up in season two, I had him showing up in season one. And Marvel had what I think was a, a, a smart note, which is that you gotta give Spider-Man time to get famous for Craven mm-hmm. to wanna come after him. Right. So we subbed in Electro, we were planning to do anyway, we just put Electro in season one and Craven, we switched places with them. And then there were a couple things that, you know, legal reasons we couldn't do. Like uh, we wanted, we had planned to use Kingpin, who was originally a Spider-Man character, but by the time we got around to Spider-Man, Kingpin had been sort of, uh, how would you call it? Like sequestered off in the daredevil life. He was at at Fox and there was no way like that. Yeah, there was, we, we tried. There was a lot of arguing and pleading and debating, but is is that why Tombstone becomes the main villain in the first season? He kind of replaces right. Kingpin he, because of that. Absolutely, just took the place of mm. the Kingpin, and it worked out great for us. I have no complaints. It was all terrific. Yeah, yeah. became a really fascinating character for us. But yeah, the original plan had been Kingpin, and instead Tombstone subbed in, and then. We also had planned, we, we never wanted to make it like Marvel guest star of the week kind of thing. It wasn't going to be, you know, Spider-Man and mm-hmm. every week. But I thought like once a season, and so we had originally talked about, I think, uh, Human Torch, mm-hmm. you know, because I really liked the relationship that Johnny Storm and the sort of friendly, frenemy rivalry thing that they had in those early years. So the idea that, you know, Hey, I'm Johnny Torch. I'm a Johnny Storm. I'm the Human Torch. I'm a real superhero. I'm in the Fantastic Four. I like that appealed to me a lot. And so we had him in the first season, and then again legally we just couldn't get that cleared. Mm. Um, but you know, I don't think the show suffered from it. I just think it would have been a nice added texture to it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think I said. I think actually, Greg, I said this to you a few weeks ago. Um, it's funny because you know when we made this, uh, when we made Spectacular Spider-Man, there was no Young Justice uh, that came later. But uh, as I've been catching up on my Young Justice and watching it, I realized that had there been more than 26 episodes of Spider-Man, and had we been able to use some of the rest of the Marvel library, Marvel would have gotten a version of a Marvel Young Justice kind of before Young Justice existed. Yeah, um, we had, 
we had plans for, again, if you think of it as the early 60s reset in 2008, my point of view was that the Fantastic Four was also in New York, but they were dealing with big cosmic problems, not the stuff that Spider-Man was dealing with. And But that this would have been before Tony Stark ever put on the suit, before Don Blake ever picked up a hammer. Um, Ant-Man was around, but he was too small for most people to notice. And the uh-huh. Hulk was like this... <laughs> the Hulk was like in the American Southwest jumping around and people weren't even sure if that was real or just like a Bigfoot legend, you know, kind of right, thing. Right. Um, but we had this notion of stories that uh, that Uncle Ben would have been a huge fan of, you know, Captain America. And that up in the attic of the Parker home, there's Uncle Ben's old memorabilia, Captain America memorabilia collection. So that when Captain America got thawed out from the ice, uh, you know, Peter would, you know, see him as like a connection to Uncle Ben. Yeah. Or the episode where I got um, Josh. That got Josh right there, yeah. right in the field. <laughs> yeah. The episode where um, Beast and Cyclops show up because uh, they're the first two students at Xavier's school, and they think Spider-Man might be a mutant. Mm. So they show up to recruit him for this school. Um, but it's so, such early days that, you know, not even Iceman and Angel and Marvel Girl are there yet. You know, the idea was to really think of this in terms of early, early days of Marvel, and we would build from there. That was the original intent. Uh, and then we were quickly disabused of the notion that we had access to any other corners of the Marvel Universe except the Spider-Man. But- Another thing, I don't know, and I don't know if Vanessa and Josh know this, um, but one of the things that's really interesting about the show is, although we all know that MJ and Peter are the couple, in our show, uh, we very much built, or you guys very much built, uh, the Gwen and Peter relationship. But one thing, Greg, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but like, what your your plan would have been, because you had pitched how and why Peter and MJ would eventually have come together. You remember? Yeah, I mean, we had a, uh, for lack of a better term, a, 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 the original plan was to do five seasons of Peter in high school. Mm. Sort of take him through real time, beginning of his junior year, and over five seasons, by the fifth season, he'd graduate high school. And then the plan from there was to do direct-to-DVD movies of his college years. And a lot of what we did with characters like MJ and Harry and Gwen, that is characters that in essence were barely introduced at the end of Ditko's tenure or were introduced after Ramita started and were really college characters. They weren't part of the high school cast. Liz and Flash and um, a bunch of those, we took all those characters and sort of said, all right, let's put them in high school together, but let's not take the Gwen Stacy we met in college or the Harry Osborne we met in college. Let's extrapolate backwards and think about what these characters would have been like in high school. Yeah. And the thing about Gwen Stacy is, if you read the comics, is Gwen is a brilliant scientist, mm-hmm. um, second only to Peter. Like, you know, if Peter is the top student uh, or would have been the top student at that high school, except that Spider Man kept forcing him to be late on assignments, kind of thing. And so Gwen was the top student, you know. 
in college, um, you had the sort of icy blonde and the hot redhead. You know, that was the whole triangle for Pete. And the idea was that over time, you know, uh, that Mary Jane and Gwen, instead of being rivals, would actually be really close friends. And, and obviously, Pete, you know, heads towards Gwen. If something happens down the road, there's grief. And, and that may be part of what brings them together. I also had a vague notion that I wasn't even sure I was going to do, but there was a, you know, a comic book, uh, you know, a stuff that came later in the comic book canon that sort of suggests that Mary Jane may have known all along that Peter was Spider-Man. Right, right. right. Um, and so there were times when Mary Jane lived in Staten Island, but she, her aunt lived next door. Right, right. To the Parkers. And so I totally, you know, one of the notions I had was that maybe, just maybe, um, one night when Peter was coming in his window, Mary Jane was staying with her aunt she looked out the window and <laughs> there it was. Uh, there's Spider-Man going into Peter Parker's window, you know. Um, well, and I think that five-season approach works. I know, Shannon, you got asked a question of if they cook it, but I think, I think the five-season approach, because you're laying the groundwork you, with this idea that five seasons, we're going to pay it off at the fifth season. So you're taking your time and giving these characters and these villains layers and complexity and interesting colors that we had not seen in an animated series of Spider-Man before. And I think that's one of the big, big reasons people love this show so much is they can connect with these characters on a personal level because the characters come off uh, more uh, with more depth and and that makes and more vulnerability and that makes us want to follow them through their adventures both villain and heroes well and i think visually something else that sticks out about the show is the action and this would yeah. be for vic um i love I, I love creative creative action in shows and specifically spider-man in the black suit taking on the sinister six i mean Vogel probably may or may, have, may or may not have shown me some stuff before it he was supposed to. Um, oh, but, yeah, I definitely did. I definitely <laughs> but I remember watching that that sequence, and I'm like, my God, that is awesome. How much of that is in the writing? How much of that uh, is is in the directing? And like the the squash and stretch uh, of the show that you want, like what what does that mean specifically for our audience? I think what's in the script is that there is a battle and who has to win and lose in, in the setting. But I think the actual choreography is the director and the storyboard artist. That fight, I think was episode, was that 11 or 12, Greg? That was the Sinister Six episode. It's a, I want to say 11. Uh, 11, yeah. 11, so a lot of what's there is because of what we did actually on the teaser for that we presented the Comic-Con that ended up being the prologue for episode 13. Uh, when I came on the show, I mentioned um, uh, wanting it to be a more stylized uh, sort of design style to keep it looking really move. The Sam Raimi movies were an influence also. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I was a fan of the old cartoons. It, but the thing is, watching those, Spider-Man pretty much swing on his web. He would put people in a fishnet or, you know, do a web between buildings and catch cars. And that was the extent of it. Maybe he punched somebody. And I just wanted to see this Hong Kong, almost Jackie Chan, using the environment, using things, webbing something behind your head, yanking it into your 
head, or guys running away, you web him at the ankle of his feet, you pull the pants out from under him. Like funny stuff as long as well with cool choreography. Yeah. So we just like poured all of these ideas into that very first fight scene. At the Comic-Con trailer, only a little bit was there. We got to see all of it in 13, but that's what we shared with the directors and the board guys, and that's sort of the approach on, on every episode. Well, that's and it's and and you see it influenced uh, with uh, the media that came afterwards, the multiple media that came out. You saw you see things from Spectacular Spider-Man popping up in even in Spider-Verse. I could see some hints of that throughout as well, which I really enjoyed seeing from from the series. A couple of things I want to mention that we did is Greg talked about taking the 1960s and bringing it up to date. Hmm. We looked at other characters, our supporting cast characters and found characters that we could sort of change their ethnicity without changing their personality, mm. sort of reflect uh, New York of then and, and today. And then the other thing, you know, Greg read all those uh, uh, books on the Lee Ditko era of Spider-Man, so that was our cue to look at it, too, for visual things. Mm. So, and I can't believe this was a controversy at first, too, so it's a, I wanted to see those webs in the sky at the end of the episode, like you would see in the comic books. I wanted to see the half Spidey mask. Mm. Uh, we were experimenting with trying how fancy can we do Spidey sense and decided let's just do what Ditko did, these squiggly lines. And uh, I don't know if Michael remembers, but uh, we we only did animatics for the first four episodes. And when it when an executive saw the ending of the first episode and saw the Spidey webs over Aunt May's house. They, the note was taken out that kids wouldn't understand how it got there. I don't know if you remember that, Michael. Oh, yeah. Oh, so oh thing, I remember. Things, like, <laughs> things we kind of had to like sort of find a way to fight for and, and get them to accept. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of what sold a lot of those Ditko symbolisms was actually Sean's designs not being so hyper-realistic. Yeah. Um, Josh and Vanessa, going back to you two, please. Uh, what do you remember from the voiceover sessions for this show? What stands out uh, from the experience? Uh, and do you have any favorite moments that you discovered as you were doing this that you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know, you know, that was possible with this character to, for, to create that? What was that experience like for you all? I'd say for well, me, it was just seeing all the, oh, I mean, yeah. No, no, go, go, please, it was, uh, Peter. It was, it was meeting all the supporting cast. Awesome. I mean, there were there were just pe- like Freddy Krueger. I got to meet uh, Robert. Oh Engel. my God! Right. The first day, first day, Freddy Krueger in the voice booth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many people. Uh, Trish Helfer was the black cat, and she showed up in full like black leathers on a on a Harley. Uh, you know, and it, it was it, she took off the helmet, and then the blonde hair kind of cascaded out. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. It was, uh, yeah, I was like, is this, what what is life right now? Um, but it was it, it was it was amazing because I got to work with so many amazing voice actors for the very first time, mm. um, and I, I got to work with Phil Lamar. I think I don't I don't think I'd worked with Phil Lamar up until that point. I hadn't worked with Kevin Michael Richardson. Mm. Like there were a lot of people who I just met um, who were kind of at the top of their game already. That um, that I I mean I, I just got to work with them in that capacity where I'm like headlining a show. It was it was a uh, it. it I was nervous a lot of the time. I tried not to show it, and I tried to kind of put it into the character because, um, you know, I, w- I was learning as I went pretty much just like Peter. So it, mm. it, uh, it was this weird this weird situation of life imitating art, imitating life, and 
Um, but it, it was it was amazing. Like I've I've made lifelong friendships from that show. I mean, all of you guys. It's uh, and 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 more. And and yeah, like uh, just working with the cast, working with the cast, working with the crew, the supporting everybody. Every it, it mm -hmm. was it was such a nice uh, family environment. And mm -hmm. you know. Vanessa? We were and we were super spoiled yeah. just because we had everybody boy uh, we had the big recordings like where everybody in the room at the same time which you don't always get which was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Vanessa. I was yeah. I was just yeah, I, was no, I, I also uh, had so much fun with everyone uh, who came in every week. It was it was a, an adventure every time. Uh, but I'll go back to the callback and the audition experience. That same agent who called and asked if Mary Jane was on the other end of the phone. Uh, she had asked me to slate in character for this audition. I said, okay, great. When I got to the callback, uh, Jamie said, do you want us to play your audition for reference? I said, sure, that's probably helpful. So he played Vanessa Marshall's Mary Jane, and then he shut it off. And I said, might I hear what follows the slate? And he said, no, actually, everything after that sucked. So you got it in the slate. <laughs> wow. Go for it. Go, go ahead. <laughs> oh, man. so i literally owe my life to my agent who made that request so i i, I owe her everything um but uh but also i my favorite line um from the spider-man series is face it tiger you just hit the jackpot and when i got to say that ah, it, it was a, that was my geek highlight moment I'm going to save that line again. I'm going to save that line. That's Greg, fantastic. Greg, you want to go? Sorry about that. Go for it, Greg. Go for it. Well, there was an executive uh, at Kids WB. Uh-oh. Uh which is where we aired season one. Uh -oh. We read the script for that. And he was like, when he had come aboard, he came aboard late to the show. Um, you know, we were already in production, and he was new, and, and he was like, uh, but don't worry, you know, I, I, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, huge Spider-Man fan. I love Spider-Man. And we're like, great, you know, and then he got the script with that line in it. And he goes, I don't know about that line. It makes Mary Jane seem so conceited. I don't think we'll like her if she says that. I think you need to cut that line. Wow. And we were like, and you think you're a Spider-Man fan? I mean, <laughs> uh, and we were like, had to, well, Michael, you, you can take over the story because you had to explain it to him. And then that he had a suggestion for a replacement line that would pay homage to it, but wouldn't make her seem so <laughs> That was, I think, the, my first, because like I said, like this was my first job. Like Sp Spectacular Spider-Man was my first job as an executive. I was an assistant. I literally got promoted because they needed somebody to run Spider-Man basically. Uh, and so this was the first time, other than that, I had always tried to like compromise or find a middle ground, like make make Vic and Cheeks try and make Peter a little bit bigger. Like I was always trying to compromise. And this was a, you can't say face it tiger, you hit the jackpot on a kid's show. And I'm like, why? And he was like, she just can't say that. And my response was, but that's what she says. <laughs> and he was like, but no, she can't. And then it was literally like, what if she says, you're going to have, we're going to have a great time, tiger, or hey, tiger. And there was all these suggestions. And I was just like, his, his no. last thing was to give the line to Peter. What? 
Yeah. You're going to Peter <laughs> like, well, and have what? Peter say, face it, spider. You just hit the jackpot. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, that uh, suggestion came to me, and I'm uh, like, no. <laughs> that was the first time where I just said, I just said, well, this is what we're doing, and that's it. You can decide what you want to do with it, but this is what's happening because, like, Mary Jane Watson is obviously saying that. <laughs> I mean, literally, I think in all of comics, there are only two lines that are more famous than that. Mm. And one is also Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Or I, thought it was, I thought it was gullibility. I thought it was gullibility. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and then there's the Batman line, you know, criminals are superstitious and cowardly a lot. And if you're talking about actual quoted lines of dialogue, I think that that line is one of literally the top three lines, most famous lines in all of comics. It made you and the wonder. Notion that, that, and clearly he was like, had to be explained like, this is in the comics, it's really, and he's like, oh, um, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that, but still. <laughs> um, By the way, that was the same executive who said, take the spider webs out of the sky. <laughs> is that executive still working black cat saying you better not get your Google. no part of michael's job by the way, by the way josh i want to give you some credit michael part of michael's big part of his job then was we would get these notes and he'd have to he'd see the reactions of greg and i and have yeah. to like you know calm up down. my head explodes michael has to go that's what he flipped over you know <laughs> I, I think I did a very good job of like letting you guys explode and then going back. I, like it was, it was, it was a, it was a good balancing act. Take it from me. He's very but, good at that. He's very good I at taking like the explosion and presenting it in a more palatable way. Yes. So what Josh was just going to say, which I still to this day find hilarious is that people got concerned about face it, tiger, you hit the jackpot. And when you look at some of what black cat says in the oh black cat God. episode, I can't believe nobody even batted an eye and I'm like are we really gonna let her like I was thrilled I was just sitting there like rubbing my hands together like this is awesome you want a piece of the mud pie the first episode um, <laughs> where we don't do the origin story for way later but right Spider-Man's being chased by the Enforcers, and he's trying to stop the Vulture from getting Norman Osborn, and he has a thought. By the way, that's another thing we did in the show. We had thoughts, as well as dialogue, <laughs> with explosions and music happening at the same time. But he has this thought of, I can't let what happened to Uncle Ben happen to Harry's father. And it's mm -hmm. a little bit of a callback to his origin. We were asked to cut that. You know, I mean, it's in the show. Just to let you know, it, it made it into the show. But uh, so many classic Spider-Man things like that, we had to really push to get it. I want to come. Yeah, there's a lot of people when they're working on kid shows, and I, having worked at Sony and then worked at Hasbro and worked at other places, like there's mm -hmm. always this fear that like something is going to confuse kids, which mm -hmm. is very rarely the case. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile you got Uncle Ben dying in a carjack situation, so I'm just like, well, you know. parents. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Parents. I think they're actually less worried about actual kids than they're worried that some parent is going to 
Oh. Get all yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, that's one question I, I had for Cheeks. One of my one of my favorite designs from the show is Electro. That you were able to kind of harken to the classic costume with the color scheme, but you made it so you didn't have a guy with a lightning mask over his face. Um, what was that process like coming up with your take on the characters? How how much uh, flexibility did you have? You know, I'll be honest, I, I can't remember the full details, but I do remember I went a different route first, where it was, and that was the moment where I was like, why is my brain trying to revamp, reimagine it to the extreme? And I had like these actual turbines on his back that you could see the electricity going into the tubes. Uh, but then, you know, Vic and, uh, and Greg, like, he doesn't have time to make these things. It's, he's grabbing something real quick, hodgepodge. Uh, and when it came to the face, I'm not sure. Did you guys say don't do classic mask? Uh, and I, I can't remember honestly about how the face. Came well, he was like pure energy, pure electrical energy. So the suit you designed was to contain him, and then when the suit came off his head, it would just be all right. Electrical. And, and I think I wanted to make sure that the spikes still resembled what his mask yeah. had as a silhouette. But I don't, I, I don't believe I came up with that idea. I, I believe, you know, uh, Greg you know, or, or Vic might have suggested that. I have to ask on the heels of that, the Green Goblin is such an interesting design for this show. And the way it's played in the show, I have to ask, there's a little bit of a Joker vibe to him. And especially when he takes over crime, the crime organization in that bar scene, um, it feels very Joker-esque. And I wonder if that was a little nod or a little intentional and in how that came about. I, I think, honestly, that's, you know, if that's Joker-esque, then you've got to chalk that up to Stan. Mm. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I think our interpretation of Go Green Goblin is very dead on to maybe not later years, um, but to the original stuff that Stan was doing with the character um yeah. whole notion of being a crime boss not just being a supervillain, right. but literally taking over you know the new york underworld that's right out of the early comics yeah, I mean, yeah. right out of it um and we decided really early on that who runs the underworld was going to be a major um thread throughout both of our well not just both of our first two seasons because we had plans for season three i mean we were talking about in introducing mr negative in season three and hobgoblin and oh. but it was always about okay you've got these powers then you spider-man takes someone down it creates a vacuum in other words it, it there's never any permanent solution to that problem it's not like suddenly crime goes away mm -hmm. permanently ah you know, we've, uh, L, you know, Lincoln Thompson is, or, uh, I'm getting his name wrong because it's been so many years, but, uh, is, the voiceover, you mean? Real name. The voiceover? Or no? No, what was no, Tombstone's name? Uh, Tombstone. Name? Oh. Wasn't the other I can't remember. I can't remember now either. Okay. But in any event, uh, you know, if he's under indictment and has to, on best behavior which hampers his ability to run the underworld 
that creates a power vacuum that Green Goblin sought to fill in the end of season two. If Green Goblin quote unquote dies at the end of season two, then who comes in to fill that vacuum? Um, and that would have played into seasons three and forward because again, it doesn't end, nothing ends, you know? Right. Uh, and so that underworld thing but really still all of that comes out of the early comics you know the idea of the big man the idea of the master planner the mm -hmm. idea of goblin doing this stuff it was kingpin back then but but still that all that stuff comes out of the early comics that that yeah. stan was constantly weaving that in what we had the advantage of was hindsight yeah you know and you mentioned eddie brock and you know, when Venom's introduced, in essence, as the symbiote suit in Secret Wars, no one knew that Venom would become a character, let alone a significant villain, right. let alone later an anti-hero or any of this stuff, you know. Um, but we had the advantage of hindsight. So we're like, okay, then let's, you know, let's make Eddie Brock significant. Um, and we borrowed a little from Ultimate Spider-Man and from all sorts of places. Or if we were doing, again, you know, if you're going to do uh, what's going on in the New York City underworld, um, all right, well, then let's build up the big man that is Tombstone. Let's um, then bring in the old sort of mafia family guy in Silvermane. Mm -hmm. Let's bring in the new sort of techno villains led by Doc Ock. And then, and that's what led to the episode Gangland. Um but it wasn't going to end there either. And yeah. still all of it is about having the advantage of hindsight, you know, mm -hmm. that, oh, there are all these great stories, but some of them contradict each other and some of them duplicate each right. other. Right. And so again, that goes back to the idea of the five C's. We wanted to take all this fantastic material, but it was material done by multiple editors, multiple writers, multiple artists. We're going to, make it cohesive and coherent yeah, yeah and that was two of our five c's well i can't thank you all enough we got to wrap here we're at the hour mark and i know some of you will have to go so thank you all so much uh, from shannon and michael and i we want to ask you guys one last question i mean it is the geek buddies so we yes. want to ask you what what is what are you personally the geekiest about or what do you think gives you the most geek cred in your world um, yeah, who would like to go first? I'll go. Uh, I mean, I go. I go all in when I have a character, man. Like uh, I had, yeah, I had Mini at the time, and this uh, this picture. Well, this is just a background on the Zoom. <laughs> I had the full version of this picture, basically uh, made into a vinyl wrap, and did the entire top of the, the flat top of the mini with uh, with Spider Man, and drove around like that for several years. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I your license I, plate. Yeah, I had my license plate was Thwip. Now I try to keep it a little bit more incognito, but it was Thwip. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my current car, I had some uh, custom like Voltron logo um, light up door sills made. So when you open up the door, they light up. Uh, wow. And did I see on Twitter that you were literally playing a game recently online with someone whose online name was Shiro and had no yes. idea that they were playing a game with the actual Shiro? Yes, and also the, well, it's World of Warcraft. I'm a, I'm a huge World of Warcraft geek. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was partied with somebody whose name was Shiro, and you could get titles in this game. So their title was like uh, 
proven defender for like legendary defender <laughs> and they had no idea that the person that they were grouped with was actually the voice of Shiro and also <laughs> the voice of the king of that that world in World of Warcraft I'm, I'm the king oh, wow. of the alliance that's amazing right. what, about, no what about you Vanessa what do you got what's the geekiest thing for you um probably Star Wars yes yeah I, I have an entire room upstairs full of action figures and all, all sorts of fun things it's it's a bit of a deal breaker if people can't grasp the room it's like no go yeah um <laughs> Rumors about Hera. How about rumors about Hera? Was there rumors about Hera? Is there something going on that you can reveal? Rumors about Hera? Yeah. Well, I was the last to find out that she had a son, so I'm never the one to ask. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair but enough. In the epilogue, uh, spoiler alert, uh, yeah. in the epilogue when we learn there's this sort of child that has manifested, <laughs> um, got me. I had no idea. Only Tia knew that that was uh, happening. But anyway, I have no idea anything about Hera other than I have about 10 million action figures. <laughs> I think one of the coolest moments for me was uh, at uh, Comic-Con, I think it was 2014, uh, not only getting inducted into the Mandalorians, the 501st and this and that, but Hasbro had us sign the first uh, official action figures for the Star Wars Rebels series. And that my mind exploded at that point. Awesome. Pretty much. So, such a beloved character. Such a beloved character. Uh, <laughs> Cheeks, Cheeks, what do you got? I mean, you got look at so much to choose from behind you. What do you got? Other, other, other than the dragon's lair poster. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> my uh, my biggest geekest moment, biggest moment would be um, going to uh, the zoo, trying to get bit by a radioactive spider. <laughs> no, I, I joke. I joke. No, I used to draw webs on my hand. Uh, when I was on a school bus, and wow. pretend that my hand was stuck to the window, and I, I guess I was fairly strong. People had a hard time taking it off. They actually believed about <laughs> Spider-Man. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. that also, also, I think it's pretty geeky that uh, in Spectacular Spider-Man, Peter Parker has a signature mole. Yes. Uh, that's that's what I wanted to talk about. Because when Vic knew how many revisions I had to go through for Peter and Spider-Man, I stuck the mole on and he goes, what's that? And I said, what, what are you talking about? He goes, what is that right there? I said, oh, I think that's just the eraser shaving. He goes, oh. he goes, come on, what is that? And I said, come on, babe. I said, I had to do like 19 revisions on Peter. I said, can I get this? I was, Look. He goes, you did go through a lot. He goes, uh, I'm gonna send it up, but if it gets contested, then, then we'll have to take it off and then he told me what happened in the meeting, but maybe you guys can elaborate what happened at the meeting once it got into, you know, showing in front of the Zex. I, I, that doesn't, there, there was a meeting about Spider-Man's physique that for some reason I will never forget. It was a huge thing. We kind of talked about it earlier, but I, I think this one just got up quickly. I think people really like the well, tag. No, Mike, Mike had said something. Somebody said, what's that on Peter's cheek? Huh? And then Mike said, have you seen Cheeks' cheek? This is what you relate back yeah. to. Me back oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we did sort of like, I just sort of, there, there was some sweet talking. There was some sweet talking that we had. <laughs> I want to hear this. I didn't hear that part. <laughs> no, I think it was just like, I, I don't think we said what you said. Like, I didn't, I don't think I used the whole, he's done so many revisions. I think we like, we're like, we think it, you know, we, we were inspired by this, but also I think there was, you know, it makes it, it makes him unique. It makes this version stand out, you know, just like, it's not, he's just not another fate. Like there was a lot of like, oh, that's what, and then it was like, yeah, okay, fine. Right. I remember 
going online when people saw the design and they were hating that aspect. But then after a while, what just, in fandom? Yeah. No. Oh, big time! Yeah. This is <laughs> right. No, you're being sarcastic. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so people started defending me. They said, "Have you seen Cheeks is cheap?" And then people jumped on board. They're like, they're all for it. They're like, okay. And then that's probably my second geekiest moment. That I, that's a defined thing nice. on Peter Parker. That's awesome. <laughs> for our version, yeah. Victor, what do you have? What do you got? Oh, is, it, is, it, is the question like what I'm geeky about or what? Yeah. Right. Either one. Right. Yeah, either I'll, one. Either okay. one. The thing I am the most geeky about is original Star Trek. I feel like every life lesson you have to learn about loyalty and friendship and diversity is original Star Trek. Right? That's right. That's right. Well said. Uh, I say career-wise, the reactions I get, it's definitely the spectacular Spider-Man and probably uh, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated right after that. But recently, newer people coming into the business who are like in their late 20s, early 30s, anytime I mention this show, this is my second storyboard job. Oh, I'm, I'm, Darkwing Duck, yeah. I, I'm like a rock star in this time. The guy I'm working with now, he's the creator of the show I'm working on, he uh, just turned 30. And when I met him two years ago, when he heard I worked on that, he's like, I loved that show when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take it. Greg? That line, I loved that show when I was a kid. <laughs> like, what I hear nonstop at any convention I go to, you know. Uh, <laughs> now it's like three different generations say that to me, and it's like, <laughs> so fucking old. No, uh, that's a positive, because it means you're still working, and your stuff still works. That's a positive, man. <laughs> uh, I think the thing I'm geekiest about is probably Shakespeare, but the thing I'm uh, probably, I think my biggest geek claim to fame is that I worked at DC Comics in the uh, mid-80s, oh. and um, when Watchmen was coming out, I was there, and I shared an office with Julia Saba, who was the designer of that book that you just held up, yeah. um, and of each issue, and as you may recall from Watchmen, you know, at the back of each issue would be some text feature that was in universe. Yeah. So um, one of those text features was Rorschach's psychiatric file. Oh yeah. And you know, Alan Moore would write them, and then if there was any art needed for them, Dave Gibbons would do the art. But then Julia was the one who actually assembled these pieces to make them look like part of a novel or part of a psych file or whatever. So on the psych file. Um, she was working on that for one of the issues and she said get over here and I walked over there and she grabbed my thumbs and pressed them into an ink pad and then put them on a piece of paper I said what are you doing and she said never mind and um, and then so these are Rorschach's thumbprints right? <laughs> That is awesome. That's incredible. Holy crap. Yeah, great sign notes, autograph days. Now I gotta find that. Oh my god. That's one part and... I always wanted to play. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great part, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think you can that's there's no better way to wrap up uh, I think this great reunion of these incredible artists and actors uh from uh, the show The Spectacular Spider Man. 
um, two seasons and people still talk about this show. It's one of those what could have been shows because it was stopped after two seasons. And I think that's what makes it um, even more beloved because people, you know, kind of keep it as a, as a treasure. You're right, you're right. But as a treasure, you know? <laughs> and they love it in that way, and they keep it in that. So it was just an honor for I think all three of us to have you, uh, you five, join us to talk about it. And I hope you fans enjoyed it as well. Uh, Shannon, uh, well, thanks to Greg Weissman, thanks to Victor Cook, thank you to Cheeks, thank you to Josh Keaton, and thank you so much to Vanessa Marshall uh, for taking the time to be with us. Uh, should we wrap up the show here, or should we let them go? I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, that really supported the show and and um, we could I don't think we foresaw how much love we would get back in return so really appreciate yeah. it yeah I have to concur with Sean when we were working on this thing it was, you know we didn't touch on this but it was already a hard enough show to do on the timeline and the budget we had yeah. we had other unforeseen things happen along the way that made it that much harder Oh my God, we were there until like midnight. I, I was like living with Greg Wiseman and the editor, practically, <laughs> in my own family. So, uh, so yeah, when we started seeing the response and years and years later, it's gratifying. So mm -hmm. We think all the fans were remembering the show. It made, makes it all worth it for us. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Shannon, what do we got to tell them at the end of every show? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies. On Instagram, at The underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at MK2. And if you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at The Roca Says. Uh, yeah, well, before we go, and Mikey, please. Well, I was going to say, do you guys uh, want to yeah. throw out your Instas as yeah. well? Insta Twitter, where can they find you to uh, follow you and uh, get your updates on what you guys are doing? Uh, I'm on Instagram as Space Padre, and I am at Josh Keaton on Twitter, and then, um, yeah, and I have a YouTube as well. On uh, Instagram, I'm uh, at Vanessa Marshall, 1138, and on Twitter, at Van Marshall. Nice. Cheeks? Uh, so on both Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Sean Galloway Arts. Okay. Victor? On Twitter, at Victor underscore Cook. One. Nice. And Mr. Weissman. Uh, Twitter is at Greg underscore Weissman. W-E-I-S on the end. Um, so yeah, everybody watching, uh, definitely give all these guys a follow. Uh, they're amazing. They're super awesome. Uh, again, thank you guys for this. It was great. It was a great reunion. This was one yeah. of the favorite shows that I ever worked on. And for everybody watching, uh, definitely subscribe below, hit like, leave comments. Let's have a big conversation about how awesome all these guys are. Uh, and if you're listening to us on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, give us likes, give us ratings, uh, share this, retweet it, post it on your social media. Hopefully we're going to do more of these. This is the first of many sort of reviews yeah. and looks back on some awesome shows with some awesome geeky people. And uh, we will see you all next time. There you go. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of The Geek Buddies. Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey!
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.